ladies and gentlemen, it's finally happening. After months, <laughs> your boy is finally going back to the cinema this weekend to watch Black Panther 2 or whatever it's called. In other words, the public enemy's Chuck D. Bring the noise. Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good weekend in circumstances. I know it's called what kind of everyone. I know, I know it's called. I am not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not stupid. Uh, I'm not, I'm not disrespecting like that. But um, yeah, I'm going, uh, I'm going to see it. Got my tickets cut. Gonna go with my boy. Gonna go with my pops as well. Gonna tag along. And yeah, man, gonna have a whale of a time. Gonna have a whale of a time. Seriously, I don't know. I don't remember the last time I went to cinema. I'm trying to think. <laughs> I know it was sometime this year, like earlier this year. Um, uh, but I, I can't. I can't remember what the film was. Ah, uh, Eternals. Can't been. Can't have been the last time. Fuck. I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know. Um, and that's kind of the point I'm trying to make here, right? I'm not that I'm here to make points, but uh. I I just I I just feel like all of a sudden it's dawned on me in the past like couple of weeks that geez I've just let films go <laughs> and not because not because I don't care or anything not because I don't want to go see films right partly it's just because I've had no pee to go to cinema right that's that's part of it right um but also it's just been I don't know I've had this um I guess I've just been focusing a lot more on a lot of other things that is not film um you know I'm still writing of course right that's never going but um, even with that said I haven't written in a bit um it's been a few weeks I've been focusing on a you know just the pod um the pod especially got some good stuff coming in the next uh, for the next last for the last uh, seven eight weeks of of the year, um, got some good stuff coming, uh, been doing some other writing, so I have been writing, but just not screenwriting, um, you know, dropping in an essay at the start of the, start of next year, um, obviously doing the end of year lists, um, uh, for the five, for the five year end of year list, um, so yeah, you know, getting, getting that, getting ready for that as well, um, so yeah, I've just been, been doing everything else apart from just going to see films, I mean, I did see a short film, couple of weeks ago um and went to see a theatrical performance which will which uh is part of um the uh next episode of what's good which will drop a day after this on friday and um yeah just um be ready for that because uh, it's going to be a chunky one it's a chunky boy of an interview i would cut it in two parts but i feel like um, there's a lot of uh there's a lot of connection towards what I'm dropping and what the interviewees drop in on that day. So I thought I'd just drop in one fell swoop and uh, n- no point elongating it, right? Just uh, no point uh, cutting it up. So uh, yeah, got a meaty boy uh, interview uh, coming after this episode uh, very soon. 24 hours afterwards, in fact, believe it or not. That's how days work. And um, yeah, so got that drop in. But yeah, I just, you know, I just, I just really... This is the thing, right? This is the thing. Um, I've talked about this before, but, um, you know, I feel like I always want to, and not, and this is kind of just, 
I feel probably the mindset of most people. They would love to do this. They would love to do that every day, right? Um, I'm so, I'm sure there's people in the world that would love to hit up, you know, just every 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 game of their favorite football team, right? You go to the away days, go to all the home games, you know, some only a certain sect of people do that, right? And that's all they do. That's the, that's the dedication they put in. They they're 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 avid fans of this particular team. So they go to away days, they make a day of it, of course, and um, and obviously go to all the home games as well, as well, right? And that's all they do. That's all they have to look forward to in their in their lifetime, you know, so to speak, right? Um, for me, that thing is a lot of things. <laughs> it's not one particular thing. I I like to go out and take photos. I like to, especially and more in in recent years, I feel like I've just been spending all the disposable quote-unquote income I've had um, on just going to shows and hitting up festivals and just consuming live music, right? And uh, and also taking photos <laughs> at the same time sometimes, right? So, you know, that's, that's kind of... I, there's no point taking photos at cinema, right? So it's just more... Um, I guess it's just more uh, applicable, I guess, professionally for me to not just um, enjoy going to see, going to music, but also taking photos and you know just um, updating the portfolio on that front. Um, and yeah, it just knocks two birds with one stone. If I'm going to see a film, it's just going to see the film. I'm not planning to. I I don't do I don't do reviews um, that much anymore. Um, I've kind of gone off that. Um, so yeah, you know, this is what it is. So if I'm going to the cinema, I'm going purely purely out of pleasure at least with when i go to festivals or music shows most of the time i'm going there with not just the motive of i want to see this person live or this or this artist live um it's also i want to take photos and uh, see if i can get some good photos as well you know there's an ulterior motive that says more than one but the film is just one it's just one i want to go and watch this film <laughs> that's dropping right and uh, i haven't done that in a while it's been a minute um, and I miss it, and uh, and you know I've had this uh, kind of epiphany in recent weeks that um, I've made the major mistake of just like uh, not giving enough uh, giving enough attention, I guess, to the film world, quote unquote. Obviously, I do you know here on Moscow I talk about film and TV now and again, right on the on the regular um, occasionally. Those are three different things, but whatever. Take you, take your pick, <laughs> and yeah, it's just uh, I don't know, it's just weird. It's just weird. I feel like I there's, there's so many things I always want to do, and uh, only get to do a small amounts of them, and um, that just I don't know, it just makes me feel a type of way. And that's all I want in the world. There's nothing, nothing really much I want more. Um, just to be able, I'm not asking. I don't feel like I'm asking for much to just go see films and to occasionally hear up a show. Um, optimally, I'd love to do it at least once a week, right? I'd I'd go every day if I could, right? But, um, yeah, I don't feel like I'm asking for much in the of the world, but that's where I'm at. That's why I'm. That's why I'm. That's why I want in life. But anyway, let's jump right into the show instead of talking about I don't know existential uh wants and needs to fulfill to find fulfillment in life. And <laughs> let's jump right. <laughs> Before we begin, email, Twitter, Discord, all that, all that, all that in the full show notes. Please go peep the articles for yourself, give them a read, give them a spin. 
textually and uh, support the writers to make the show possible. And with that said, let the beat drop and let's get into the show. In a week where Twitter and Meta undergo major employee layoffs, COP27 is underway in Egypt. Uh, politicians bark at just off oil protesters as they continue their campaign. Uh, Kevin Williamson resigns as cabinet office minister over abusive messages. Um, and I read a couple of them, uh, you know, spicy, spicy, ooh, ooh, go on, Gavin, ooh, get, get on, mate, get on, fucking twats. Um, and, and lastly, the US midterms go down. Uh, let's begin with um, uh, the poppy. So shout out to, um, I've, I've helped, it would probably help if I actually... Um, uh, had the name of the Twitter account that I'm just about to guess, but um, shout out to, I think it's called Poppy Watch. Um, let's see if I can find it. Poppy Watch. Poppy Watch. Not Poppy Watch. It's not Poppy Watch, but basically this is an account um, that uh, talks about, um, that basically outs all of the corny, uh, corny poppy shit um, that uh, people love to do. Um, just dressing a lot of shit up with um poppies and uh, just over just od supporting of uh of poppies right it's just like love the poppy let's we for kids you know what i mean just it's got this got this very needy or i'll reword and say uh overt tones to it overtones there you guys <laughs> very very angry overtones to it. It's like if you if you don't wear the poppy, you're a fucking you ain't a fucking patriot. You know what I mean? It's just it just gives off weird vibes. And you know, there was there used to be a Twitter account called Crimes of Britain. Um, I don't think it exists anymore, unfortunately. But that was a really uh, fascinating fucking um, oh Crimes of Britain. There we go. Still 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 alive. I don't know if it's still going. Yeah, it stopped in May, in 2019. I'm so disappointed that it hasn't uh, it's not still going but they just constantly uh on the daily just um just drop in anniversaries and um just remembrances of um people that were you know murdered by the british army and stuff like that and in british imperialism in general fascinating fucking twitter account highly advise you to just just have a scroll through of their shit even though they haven't been active in a couple of years but um i found this article by john elledge um read him a couple weeks ago as well uh find the new statesman called are we finally getting over our national poppy obsession i would fucking hope so but let's jump right in rishi sunak's net personal wealth is estimated at 730 million pounds fuck's sake as both prime minister now and chancellor recently he has been in a better position than most to change the lot of British forces and, vet uh, and veterans by properly funding the NHS, the welfare state, social housing and so on. Given all this, and given that until a few days ago he was claiming the economic crisis was far too serious to allow him to attend a conference aimed at tackling catastrophic climate change, one has to ask, might there be something ever so slightly performative about the stunt he pulled on Thursday morning? Uh, 3rd of November, uh, when he was uh, to be found selling paper poppies in Westminster Tube Station to raise money for the Royal British Legion. Of course, gestures can matter in politics, 
objectionable as his premiership was in any other, every other sense. Boris Johnson's first visit to Kiev uh, clearly, genuinely meant something to the people of Ukraine. But I think it's possible that, uh, quote, lack of poppy awareness, unquote, is not the main problem facing veterans today. This isn't the only stunt Sunak is engaged in, in to mark the occasion. His new puppy, Nova, has also been pictured wearing a puppy. See, this is where this is why I don't participate in shit like this, because a lot of it is very performative, and um, it, it kind of just undermines the people that actually care and actually give a shit. Um, but a lot of people just being performative about it and just being really OD, and it's, and it's cringe. It's, it's cringe to watch. It's cringe to watch people wear suits where they're just just drenched in poppies, and it's like... Calm the fuck down. Like if you if you can if you want to wear one, go ahead. Like I'm not you know I'm not poppy police, but just people like that just just OD with it. It's just it's just corny. It's cringe and it makes no sense. Anyway, continuing on. Uh, uh, wearing a pu- puppy, wearing a poppy, and not even uh one of purple ones, which are meant to mark the animals lost to human wars. The London Overground trains. Uh, the thunder passed my flat every few minutes. Oh. Oh, poor you, poor John, uh, uh, living in London, oh, how unfortunate, and which make my own dog seemingly the one, only one in Britain who's entirely blasé about Diwali and Bonfire Night, are currently adorned with a painted poppy. Elsewhere, BBC guests are being handed poppies before they appear on television to prevent complaints. Here and there, inadvertently sinister poppy-covered figures are popping up like something out of a horror movie. A few enterprising pubs have repurposed old plastic Christmas trees as remembrance bushes, and so on. I don't even want to click the link to remember his bushes. Don't even want to do it. For all that though, I can't quite shake the feeling that some of the magic has gone out of poppy season this year. Previous years have brought football mascots dressed as giant poppies, and the words "lest we forget" shaved into the flank of an actual real-life horse. See, see, OD. No, po- no stop shaving horses. Stop it. It's OD. There's no, no. We get it. <laughs> don't need to shave horses for it. Fucking hell. Uh, normally, by this point, we'd have had a few weeks of, weeks of discourse, yelling at public figures who'd failed to show the proper respect, or debating whether some of these tributes might, in fact, be a little bit crass. Might be, really? Might be? This year, though, if all feels rather muted, the Poppy Watch Twitter account, which documents the more unhinged... There we go, here we go. Giant Poppy Watch, at Giant Poppy Watch. Found it, fucking found it. Goated fucking account. I'm just looking for it now. The classy... <laughs> the classy hashtag red light remembrance in Glasgow pays tribute to all of the uh, hashtag brothel fallen. And it the joke is it's uh, absurdly red and it makes it look like the red uh, red light district. Um, poppies on a uh, on, on bar doors. Um, you know how they have the fridges with like a lot of VK and WKD, WKDs in there. Um, a lot of poppies on that uh, screen. Uh, fucking hell, there's so, there's so many, uh, oh, what the fuck is this, someone has a curtain, um, hanging outside their window with loads of poppies on it, and, yeah, cringe, oh, lest we forget merchandise, so you, for, for the, for the low, low price of £35.13, ladies and gentlemen, you can have, for your, for your bed, a Remembrance Day poppy flower, Lest we remember, Remembrance Poppy Face Mask Throw Blanket. God, someone tried to SEO, just rinse that fucking title in. Jesus Christ. Ah, life-size veteran, uh, Poppy veteran with giant hands and a miniature 
purple puppy, uh, purple poppy pony uh, outside the local Tesco. Uh, just get it's just yeah you, you get it it's cringe it's it's just unhinged it's cringe and which i've shamelessly trawled for this column has been retweeting a lot of examples from previous years that seems telling uh this may be because after months of political chaos and with many households finances on the edge we have too many real problems to waste much energy on nonsense then again with the platinum jubilee being followed swiftly by the death of the queen perhaps we're all a bit patriotismed out See, I want to stop here and um, go back to our oh, good old friend, the exit, because this is the exact point I made when it came to the exit. I won't remain for no particular reason. I just wasn't leave for any of the reasons that they gave. Right? Why do all this when we have our own problems domestically? Right? I was I was trying to be pretty isolationist about it. Right? And just go, yo. We have so many problems, even in 2016 when, when it happened, right, and during, and during those years, we had plenty of problems going on domestically, problems that are being exacerbated now. NHS, for example, big example, quite, I think, very big example right there, um, our national fucking public health service, right, pretty dire at this point and has been dire for the past since the 21st century began, to be honest, right, been on the decline since then, um, but yeah, anyway, past that, you know, that's, that's, that's all I was saying, that's all I was saying at the, around that time, we don't have time to do this EU, to le- to do this leave EU shit, and have people waste time making other deals, na 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 na, get back sovereignty, na 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 migration, borders, na 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 na, past all the fact that all that was just, you know, obviously just, um, fear-mongering, right, bunch of fear-mongering, past all that, even if it were a, a legit, uh, well, they all are legitimate issues, but even if it were issues that were as overblown, um, or as, um, uh, uh critical as, uh, the Voli people made it out to be, right, even if that was the case, uh, there were still plenty of issues, domestically that I felt I should have been focused on and guess what happened the news cycle and the news cycle for the past five-ish years until recently where obviously until covid I guess right all the news cycle was to do with the exit Northern Ireland protocol still happens Northern Ireland is still in practical limbo on that front by the way just saying and uh and and here we are so and this is why and this is why I find it funny that people are not uh, apparently according to you know John Elledge all page, all a bit patriotismed out. Oh, you weren't, you weren't, you weren't patriotismed out when you were like, you know, shouting at fucking migrants and um, or shouting that the idea of migrants existing, um, and uh, shouting vote leave and uh, three hundred and fifty million. You, you weren't, you weren't patriotismed out at that point. Well, yeah, interesting how that works, isn't it? But now, but now you're all gassed out. Oh, poop, poop, poop. Oh, okay, go, 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 kick your feet up and go watch Pointless at six p.m. Go on, go on, have go on. Go, 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 go fall asleep to the repair shop. Okay, you, 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 you rest, you rest. You're all patriotism down, you pricks. Maybe there's another. I'm going back to the article, by the way. <laughs> Maybe there's another reason though. The Royal British Legion's annual poppy campaign exists. I love how he makes, if he makes a point here, after I say all that, I go on a mini monologue and he just says, maybe it's this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, could be that as well, I guess, yeah. <laughs> let's see, let's see what the point is. Uh, the Royal British Legion's annual poppy campaign exists to raise money for British and Commonwealth veterans for, of all wars. But it began in the aftermath of the First World War as a way of commemorating those who had uh, died in a conflict which had, ju- which had touched uh, almost everyone. 
and it remains indelibly associated in the public mind with both uh, that war and its sequel. Uh, there are, however, very few veterans from those wars still with us, and the direct money of those times uh, is no longer the shared national experience it once was, just as no one today mourns those who died in the war of the Austrian succession, say. <laughs> there must come a point in the future uh, that what random fucking war does bring up? Austrian succession? What even is that? I don't even know what that was. Anyway, I'll look up in a sec. Um, it must uh, come a point in the future uh, when an annual event uh, that exists to remember the two world wars becomes, if not unnecessary, then at least less freighted with emotion. That, I suspect, is why poppy season has become increasingly crass in recent years, a focus for tributes intended less to commemorate the victims than as a right-wing form of virtue signaling. Ooh, 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 careful, careful, John. Don't want don't to be, be saying all that. Uh, might be right, um, but maybe it was also a last gasp, part of uh, all the all-encompassing culture war sparked by the exit. Oh, he's, he's, oh did I did I foreshadow? Whoops. Um, perhaps gradually, without a head of state who served in the Second World War, Britain will start to move on. Or perhaps not. Makia Starmer is monstered in the sun for showing up on Remember Sunday wearing slightly the wrong coat, or when Grant Shapps comes to work next week dressed as a giant poppy. I may need to revise my prediction. Yeah, well, who knows? But yeah, there's always going to be unhinged fucking nut jobs going like, oh, he's wearing this. Okay, um, so apparently the War of Austrian Succession. If you want to take a guess at the year, take take two seconds. Seventeen forty to seventeen forty-eight. Did not. Know about that uh, was a European conflict that took place between uh, four primary in Central Europe: the Austrian Netherlands, Italy, the Atlantic, and Mediterranean. Related conflicts included George, King George's War in North America, War of Jenkins's Jenkins ear, the War of Jenkins's ear. God, am I going? Am I going to go down a history hole right now? I really want to. The War of Jenkins's ear. What kind of fucking title for that? The First Carnatic War and the First and Second Silesian Wars. <sighs> Sorry, I have to do it. Jenkins is here. I have to do it. Conflict between Britain and Spain lasted from 1739 to 48, mainly in New Granada, among the West Indies and Caribbean Sea, with major operations. Okay. I, I just want to know why it's called Jenkins is here. Uh, okay, seven years later, in support of mongering for the war, Jenkins, uh, Robert Jenkins, captain of British merchant ship, whose ear was cut off by sailors of the Spanish Coast Guard when they boarded his smuggling brig, Rebecca, in April 1731. Uh, Jenkins was paraded before the British Parliament without his ear. Hilarious. Absolutely fucking amazing. Just, uh, war, war, war is so... War, just the concept of war is fascinating, right? Because you just, you just, um... You just get in these rabbit holes and they're just actually genuinely fascinating and you don't actually take note of just how many people died or, you know, none of that. None of the... When, you, when you're removed from all of the pain, right? Because, you know, it's been 300 years. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, been, it's been a while. It's been nearly 300 years, right? So, it, 300 years? 2000? Yeah, okay. I can do math. Good. But yeah, anyway. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, poppies. Yeah, I don't know. Bin it. I don't care. I, I just, I, I, I don't care in the case of like, um, obviously Remembrance Sunday and the concept of it. Fine, you know, go for it, right? And I'm sure we'll be doing that for the next, um, at least, uh, at least probably 
I don't know, probably till 2050 around that time, right? Probably another for another three decades. Um, but past that, I don't know, right? And like you know, like I said, you know, you don't. We're not. We're not remembering every war. Um, obviously, we're going to remember world wars a bit much because it's a world war, right? <laughs> there was nothing. There was nothing of that fashion, um, of that scale, right? There wasn't. There hasn't been many wars on that scale, um, and probably, hopefully, fingers crossed, won't ever will be ever again. Um, but it's just a the, the, the what? It's just the people that the too od with it, right? If if it's just super cringe, like. I wouldn't care so much about the royal family if there weren't people that have their houses literally decorated in the queen's fuck with the queen's fucking face. That shit makes scares me. That actually genuinely scares me. If I've ever if I ever go into a house like that, I would be fairly confident I'm about to get murdered. Like you just there's this unhinged nature about those people that freak me the fuck out. And war people also freak me the fuck out because you guys are way too into it we shouldn't be into war that deep i'm not talking about war historians right you know they're they're nerds right it's just you know i I don't mind the geeks right the the historian geeks you know get your feel right and they come they come through it with a more academic lens right it's not it's not it doesn't get them off but these people that are just oh just decorating their homes in poppy shit it's just and the same with Queen shit. It's just cringe. It's weird. And it puts me off. I don't want to be with those people. <laughs> and I just distance myself from all that. Because of, because of the people that are just so OD with it. Um, but anyway. Yeah. Um, will the Poppy uh, appeal be dead in a few decades? Probably. Who knows? Um, but for now, you know, it's a, it, let's, just, let's just call it as... Um, Let's just call it a plateau. Let's just say we've reached a plateau in uh, peak peak uh, war, uh, people that jack off to, um, to, to, to poppy season. Speaking of jack-offs, let's uh, talk about Twitter. Um, so, <laughs> that was great. I'm, I'm, I'm getting better at these segues. Um, so <laughs> I'm not even trying to do it, but it's funny. Um, I just said jack-offs, and I'm looking at a picture of Elon Musk right now. He's jack-offs, though. Um, but yes, obviously, as I've said in a week where a couple times, um, Elon Musk has taken over Twitter. And it's already, it's already, it's already a bit bad. Um, there's already just changes that have been made that are just still rubbish and all of this with still 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 to this day still no voice dms to this day still no voice dms out of every other popular social media network apart from maybe i think reddit um i think there's a voice note or voice messaging uh apparatus and you know reddit doesn't need it it's not ready. It's not kind of for that. Um, I think they just in- recently actually inserted a chat feature onto their thing, like a messaging feature. So, you know, again, don't feel like um, that Reddit is kind of necessary for that kind of thing. Um, but Twitter, hello, DMs, voice DMs. Come on, man. It's just 
so necessary at this point, right? It's 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 a, it's necessary, and you also you know it's not like they don't utilize voice. They do. I was on the Twitter Spaces yesterday, literally last night, listening to one. So it's not as if they can't do it. Anyway, they're making changes, or Elon's making changes, and it's um it's all it's all going it's not going great um, at this moment in time. So I thought I'd read this article from Navarra Media via via Navarra Media by uh, Moya Lothian McLean. It's called Maybe Twitter Should Die. And um, I've said I've said this before, and I'll say it again. You know, I've 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 I hopped on Facebook uh, last was it last year, last New Year's? I forget, January twenty one or January twenty one or twenty two. You know, it's one of the yeah January twenty one. Right, so it's been a couple of years, and um, you know, I've I've said before, uh, if I do go off social media completely, I'd like to someday. Um, Instagram would be next, and then. I mean, I don't really go on Reddit that much. I'm on it like I don't know, a couple times a week, <laughs> maybe if if that, even if that. And even now, I'm not even on it for longer than maybe half an hour, uh, half an hour max. So you know, but Twitter, I'm a I'm a decent I'm a decent user on there. I'm I'm going on there, you know, pretty often. Um, so Twitter will be the last stand for me on the social media landscape uh, for me personally. I've I mean, a friend literally just hopped off it <laughs> yesterday for me, so. You know, um, and uh, I've noticed, I've noticed a couple of people have been hopping off uh, notable names. So you know, it's getting there. It's it's beginning already. The the purging that some people are doing. Anyway, let's get into the article. Twitter is dying apparently. Uh, depending on who, depending on uh, depending who you ask, the platform has been in a downward spiral for the majority of its lifespan. It's a hell site. Users frequently complain a cesspit of myth, misinformation, aggression, and polarization. Yet now. Uh, we are warned uh, by commentators and experts this really could be the end times, not just culturally, but functionally. Billionaire Elon Musk has completed his takeover of Twitter, and chaos has immediately ensued. Mass layoffs of key staff, followed by swift rehires, because, well, they're key staff. Twitter's board dissolved and replaced by a cabal of rich tech bros, now acting as Musk's uh, unofficial advisors on the changes he should implement. Bright ideas range from charging verified users a monthly fee, not happening for me, by the way, uh, to bringing back... I'm not paying money for Twitter. You just got me fucked up. To bringing back the defunct money pit of a video platform, Vine. All of this uh, all this is in aid of making Twitter prof- profitable enough to comfortably cover the annual $1 billion interest uh, payments Musk has levied on the company in order to buy it and, uh, at a vastly overinflated price, price in the first place. Side note, shout out to MK, MKBHD, right? He, he did another tier Twitter. He did one a few years ago that was pretty fine, right? But this one, the recent one he did, a rare L, a rare L for him. He was just talking about shit that maybe 0.05% of Twitter users actually give a fuck about. Basically him and, like, you know, maybe a few thousand other people maybe on uh, that's probably being a bit uh, exaggerative exaggerative with that number um i'm talking about like making it basically youtube in some ways um and taking a lot of what youtube does good um if anything and it was just yeah l video just an l video like just nobody cares about those kind of things like content creation on i'm good thank you Anyway, continuing on. Uh, uncertainty is never good for business, let alone one already beleaguered by a faltering user base. Uh, Musk's first moves upon acquiring uh, Twitter has seen an exodus of users and more significantly advertised is spooked by the impact of layoffs on the site's uh, content moderation, increasing the mountain he has to climb. 
Meme for the users that's down to it for the moment, undeterred by either the rabid press appetite for his demise, uh, what a story, or the politics of his new boss. There are predictions that using the site will become such a logistical headache in the wake of staff cutbacks. His relevance death warrant is in the post. I love that term. I love, I, love, I need to say it like that. His death is in the post. Like just everything's in the post. Ready to, ready to, coming to you. Straight to you. Messenger pigeon. Uh, Twitter's influence is massively outsized. It's by far the smallest of the major uh, social networks and only has es- estimated 290 million users worldwide. Thousands of whom, according to Elon Musk, bots. Uh, to the billions who flock to Facebook or TikTok, his most active users who generate the most revenue were in decline before Musk even signed on the dotted line to acquire the site. What, I- what happens if, for all intents and purposes, Twitter dies? Many have been preemptively mourning the benefits he has offered over the years, including the application of voices, otherwise often silence, community organising, education, the development of our greatest 21st century cultural output, the meme. All of these things are true. Twitter contains multitudes just as its users do. But for those interested in creating a more progressive, equal society, Twitter's demise may overall be a blessing in disguise. For all of its pockets of connectivity, the site's wider impact has also been t- uh, to warp perceptions of what people, that vague, imprecise category, are talking about, to blow fringe issues up into discourse, where it is beamed into the eyeballs of the elites who direct conversation and policy outside of the site. On Twitter, influential faces slop from the trough uh, alongside us ordinary folk and facile, 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 I think it's facile, uh, discourse like uh, should kink, should kink be allowed at pride, right? uh, shapes their perspective while entrenching an us versus them impression. A thing I've, a thing I've learned over Twitter over the time I've been on Twitter, which has been nearly 10 years, I think, maybe, maybe around that time, yeah, maybe more, when did I join, 2011, 2013, something like that, um, in the time I've been on Twitter, you know, it's it's clear that what I see on there isn't representative of what you know, especially politically, just not, just not representative at all. <laughs> um, you know, what I mean, uh, a lot. Of, there was times where I was just like looking at Twitter and I was like, "Damn, there's some there's some good momentum," you know, what I mean, for this, and then it just falls by the wayside because not many people on Twitter, um, believe it or not. But um, yeah. You just have to get out of that mindset. Uh, the site has become a breeding ground for moral panics to gain ground and rumble on, uh, such as the likes of the transphobia currently gripping England. Our first relegated to the internet forums, such as Mumsnet, the movement migrated to Twitter where it found a febrile petri dish of a, com- a conversation ripe for hijacking and with fear-mongering falsehoods and the ability to spot famous people and journalists vulnerable to a spot of radicalization. Sites like Twitter don't create these right-wing panics, but they certainly get more eyeballs on them and extend their shelf life. The lifeblood of Twitter is extreme views masquerading as sense and people engaging with them seriously, regardless of how little oxygen they deserve. Every day there is some escalated nonsense that diverts energy and attention, a unionised cat-called jorts uh, being accused of ableism, some libertarian podcast broke blaming Cardi B for his wife not reaching orgasm. I <laughs> know oh, he's talking about uh, who she's talking about. Uh, everything uh, is delivered in the same hysterical yet curiously flat register. The discourse is individualistic, dispassionate, yet furious and polarizing all at the same time. And rather than being contained on this forum, it leaks into the real world and poisons it too. On Twitter, nothing matters and everything does so much. Uh, it is surely telling that the, uh, across the political spectrum of Twitter's user base, the site itself is derided by the very people who create its content. 
from right-wingers railing against the woke liberals, suppressing their speech, to lefties sniping at hierarchies created by blue ticks. Time and time again, there has been hand-wringing over, the, over how the platform is exacerbating everything from anxiety to the death of uh, sincerity. And yet, so many remain in bondage to a website nicknamed after the realm where evil souls are sent for eternal punishment. It's a privately now billionaire-owned platform, the structures of which dictate users must conform to ever-increasing levels of solipism, solipsism, solipsism, I have no idea what that means, and siloed interactions. Why do we keep expressing shock uh, when this setup fails to produce political positives? Twitter is unlikely to suddenly shut down its servers altogether, nor are all its users going to abandon the site in one fell swoop, whatever Mastodon hopes. Uh, but Musk's takeover uh, does feel like the end of a nearer source, a shock that will hopefully prompt a re-evaluation across the left of exactly what Twitter is and how we use it. As imprisoned Egyptian activist Alar Abd el-Fatah bottled that, probably, um, I mean, I said it, but, you know, poor pronunciation, of course. Right on Twitter, in the recently published work, uh, you have not yet been defeated. Uh, this medium, quote, this medium is stifling. It's very strange. The entire world knows that these tools and mediums are defective and they have no faith in them and are suspicious of them, but they just keep using them. There's a need for an alternate, rea- alternate imagination, unquote. RIP Twitter, maybe, just maybe, the evil you have done in this world is enough. Yeah, yes, it's it's a low-key evil place in some way, and yeah, it is it is a cesspit. But even with that, you know, small user base, the fact that I constantly see people that I've never met before drop in like fucking gems. Like I've actually learned a lot from just someone retweeting, you know, a really cool thread. I can't even lie. Um, I don't. I just don't get, I never got that on Facebook, I'm never going to get that on IG, uh, I maybe, I will maybe get it on Reddit if people gas it up enough, um, so yeah, I just feel like Twitter's an interesting place on that front in terms of just learning shit, um, and, you know, relatively positive things, you know, memes, of course, fun as shit, um, I, I just feel, you know, it's an it's a, it's a interesting, it's a, it's a fascinating place, um, I wouldn't say it's a good place, there's no good place anywhere in social media especially but it's not the worst place in my mind out of all the others i think it's the i think it's the lesser of the many evils um you know i'm not sure about its data tracking or any uh, you know just security uh levels i'm sure it's probably not the greatest evil on that front um but i just you know while while there's more users on facebook obviously 10 times more users pretty much on facebook i'm only you're only seeing what you're only seeing what your what your friends are posting, you know, and most of that is probably garbage. So, and just what they care about. And you know, if you follow people on Twitter, you may follow some of those people as well. But you're also following, you know, you can also follow some interesting people. Um, and I just feel, you know, following a page on Facebook is just not the same to me. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Should I? Die? I mean, all social media should die, to be completely honest. I feel like we're probably, most likely, better off um, in the long run uh, for if, if they all just died. Um, but, yeah, you know, capitalism, eh? Funny thing. So 
Oh, I didn't leave myself a segue. See, I'm not trying, seriously. <laughs> but let's uh, move straight on uh, to the second life uh, segment. Uh, all about male body dysmorphia. Um, so this is something that I feel like I don't think I've ever suffered from. Um, so for those that don't know, body dysmorphic disorder, according to AHS, um, is a mental health condition where a person spends a lot of time worrying about flaws in their appearance. Oh yeah, no, I mean... Of course, I did, as most people do <laughs> when, you know, they're a teenager. Um, there are a lot of times where I'm just like, eh, I mean, oh, God damn. The, the one time I probably had it in some way or just, you know, felt genuinely depressed in general um, and it just didn't help um, was a time where I had this uh, skin condition um, and I had it on my forehead. And uh, basically, it just led to uh, my forehead basically just peeling. Uh, the skin uh, was peeling. Um, there's gen- there's low-key just remnants of it now. Um, I, I mean, it's a podcast. I can't show you my head. But, um, you know, if you've seen me before, um, you'll... Y- there's a there's a dark... There's a dark, I think, uh, circle... Uh, um, you know, there's, there's dark patches on the... Like, both sides of my forehead, but not the middle. That's where, but those were basically where my head uh, during when how old was I? Seventeen, eighteen. Um, it basically started peeling, and um, I had to I had to be I, I literally got was so depressed over it for like fuck knows how long, but it was for a while. Um, and uh, there was just a point where I came in late for school, and um, late for sixth form, and uh, my head of year just stopped me, took me into a classroom, just an empty classroom. And just talk to me about it. And uh, saying like, okay, just, you know, leave today. Just leave right now. Uh, make an appointment as soon as you get home. And just don't come back until like, you've had that appointment. And I was like, okay, fine, sure. Um, so I did try to get it sorted. And, you know, I got it sorted over time. Um, I genuinely, I, I don't know how it happened. Don't know why it happened. And I forgot how I solved it. Um, but it's it's not here nor anymore. Uh, but that's the only time where I've like been genuinely, like, worrying about, my floor and appearance but that was just because it was a skin di- skin condition i don't think this was it was the same as what body dysmorphia is um so yeah let's continue with this mental health condition where a person spends a lot of time worrying about their flaws and appearance these flaws are often unnoticeable to others um so there you go mine was genuinely noticeable <laughs> like you just looked like my head was wet it just looked like i was constantly sweating and obviously the peeling um people of any age can have bdd uh, but it's most common in teenagers and young adults. It affects both men and women, of course. So, um, apparently, male body dysmorphia is, as from Matthew Neal, who wrote this article uh, via The Independent, is a modern epidemic that's only worsening, um, as it says in the title. So, let's jump right in. Let's, um, let's, let's see what it is. Because, again, I don't think I've ever suffered from this, um, apart from, you know, just general teenage sadness about, being too skinny or too fat or whatever um you know just the trivial shit and uh you know got past i got over that hurdle pretty quickly um so let's jump home if you've ever been trapped in a conversation about dream dinner party guests you'll know the curious schadenfreude of uh, watching people work out which aspects of their personality they want to showcase that's actually kind of fascinating because it is basically just a personality thing isn't it it's just like who do you just want do you just want fine people there do you want smart people there uh you know do you just want funny people there or yeah just people you want to meet 
uh, you know, how it's, it's, it's actually an interesting mental experiment, actually, now I'm thinking about it. Uh, might put that if I ever do another... Um, scratch that. Scratch that. I can't. I can't. I can't talk about that until uh, until uh, we come back uh, after the hiatus uh, in January. Anyway, uh, watching people work out with aspects. But then last time it happened to me, someone picked Jason Momoa and Channing Tatum for quote unquote eye candy alongside who else? Martin Luther King Jr. What the fuck? <laughs> we perhaps never know Aquaman's views on the Montgomery bus boycott of 1955. The conversation did highlight our society's continued deference. Uh, to jacked, hyper-masculine bodies. Tatum himself was in the news earlier this year for speaking up about his own physique, specifically in the Magic Mike films. Appearing on the Kelly Clarkson show, the actor deflected praise for a topless picture from that era, explaining that the routine was unhealthy and that it had required starvation to achieve this look. Uh, his look. Last week, social media was once again obsessing over Zac Efron's body, as an image leaked of him filming a new role in a wrestling movie. This is a man, you may recall, who's been open about his struggles with body image, diet, and talking, taking so many diuretics uh, to get into shape for Baywatch, uh, that he fell into, quote, a pretty bad depression, unquote, and suffered from insomnia. If the tide is finally beginning to turn in how we talk about the societal expectations put on men's bodies, it's long overdue. Historically, of course, the stereotypical image associated with eating disorders and body dysmorphia has been of a painfully thin young woman, and with good reason. Women's bodies have been scrutinised, criticised, and idealised by men for millennia, a power dynamic that has accelerated over the last century with the rise of TV, film, supermodels, Instagram, developments that ushered in a cavalcade of highly edited and stylised images framed by and for the male gaze. It is only to be expected, then, that data and studies around the subject have typically focused on women. In 2022, it's harder to make that case. A study last year found that the majority of men, 54%, displayed signs of body dysmorphic disorder, BDD, compared to 49% of women. If those numbers seem startling, based on the visibility of body image, case studies, and campaigns both online and offline today, one of the main factors will come as no surprise. Too many men, too many men, too many... Sorry, that was just... <laughs> That was low-key instinctive, I just couldn't help myself, uh, are simply not talking about it. Worse still, in some cases, they aren't even recognising that their obsessive thoughts about their own weight and body image may have spiralled into dysmorphia. Sam Thomas, who started a charity in his mid-twenties called Men Get Eating Disorders 2, and has written extensively on mental health and addiction, experienced both body image anxiety and an eating disorder. But not in the order you might imagine. Despite developing bulimia at the age of 13, a result of what he describes as a quote-unquote uh, traumatic trauma response to homophobic bullying, Thomas said he had, quote, no real concerns at all, unquote, about his weight or size back then. It was only years later, as he was recovering in his early 20s, that concerns about how he looked took hold. Quote, a lot of people assume that eating disorders are all to do with body image, but that, ex uh, that wasn't the case for me, he explains. It wasn't really until I left Liverpool to move to Brighton when I was 18 and started making friends for the first time in the LGBT scene that I started to realise how bothered everyone was about how they looked, unquote. After developing into an incredibly thin marathon runner, Thomas started, started hitting the gym and became, quote, very muscular and defined very quickly, unquote. He found he could eat whatever he wanted and burn it off later in a workout, which proved appealing. But while going to the gym in a is a positive part of his life now, back then it was a totally different story. Another quote, I just kept swinging from one healthy coping mechanism to another. 
Uh, one of the key reasons why body image issues in men frequently may go free, may frequently go unchecked is connected to the type of male body shapes that are fetishized. Uh, the extreme thinness often associated with anorexia and bulimia will more readily draw concerned inquiries. While someone whose obsession with the gym is feeling their mental health crisis is more likely to be condemned for their commitment, just like their Hollywood idols. Another quote: "There's no one." Uh, there's no one body image ideal for men, where histo- whereas historically there was really one ideal for women. The thinner, the better, says Thomas, acknowledging that things have become, quote, a bit more complex now because of trends in plastic surgery and Instagram. While men often feel pressure to lose weight to reduce their gut and look good in skinny jeans, a simultaneous pressure is exerted into, uh, to gain weight in order to acquire massive vein-popping biceps. As both Tatum and Efron have been at pains to point out, that image is a biology-defying aesthetic straight out of a comic book, and no more realistic than a woman with a 16-inch waist and a J-cup bust. Cares for exaggeration. Okay, sure. I get it. OD, but sure. Uh, with men, another quote, with men, there's been this very alpha male look with big muscles on the other hand, but on the other hand, you've got this sender but defined look, and not much going on in between. I used to say it's like trying to walk right and left at the same time, he adds. I think a lot of pe- men, I think a lot of men did not know what to aspire to, unquote. Uh, of course, part of the problem with BDD uh, is how bodies are perceived by others can sometimes be irrelevant. If someone has convinced themselves they are uh, the wrong, quote-unquote, wrong shape, the area of the body that needs the toughest workout is often the brain. Oh, what a name this is. Erin Haji Owanu, a spokesperson for the UK Council for Psychotherapy. There's just, there's like two eyes in the middle. It's just crazy. Uh, For psychotherapy. Says that, that really tripped me up. Says that finding out what dysmorphia means to the individual is essential. Quote, in psychotherapy, you're working with someone's subjectivity. So, if someone uses the term body dysmorphia, my first thought would be to unpack what that actually means to them, she says. Where does that come from? What's perpetuating it? Because really, what you're working with is internalizations of negative messages or what's excuse me, socially acceptable and how people carry that around and embody it. Excuse me, unquote. Uh, gender variances don't just show up between cis men and cis women either. For both trans men and trans women, the pressure to conform to a hyper-gendered body image can be exacerbated by the expectation to pass as male or female in public. Conversely, non-binary or genderqueer folk often speak about societal expectations of androgyny, that an appearance deemed too heavily mask or femme-presenting might raise questions about the validity of their identity. It seems there's no escaping the feeling that our bodies might not be performing in the way, uh, quote-unquote, performing in the way society would like them to. While the temptation may be strong to simply tell people to be themselves or be proud of who you are, hashtag blessed, (laughs) it's worth remembering that there are considerable social rewards for people who ignore that advice and instead work to emulate everyone else's idea of physical perfection. If that sounds like the bleakest capitalist model of dehumanization imaginable, reducing people to an assemblage of Botox and lip fillers that improve your chances of attaining well, uh, mental well-being and intimacy, well, that's pretty much where we are. Quote, I would describe it more uh, in the ways our bodies are being used as currency. In a transactional sense, particularly in the early stages of relationship, Haji Oanu says, I have to say it like in two sections, Haji Oanu, uh, it really takes away from the idea of ourselves 
as a whole person if the focus is purely on what your profile picture looks like, unquote. What, if anything, can we do to try and fight something that seems so powerful and all-pervasive? The likes of Tatum and Efron uh, speaking up about how utterly miserable and unhealthy their lives became in order to get shredded for certain roles can only help for sure. Dom says he wants to see a more diverse range of male bodies represented too. Quote, for women, there's increasingly a lot of representation for plus-size figures, but there really isn't an equivalent for men per se. I mean, there was a dad bod shit back you know, a few years ago. That was that was a thing, wasn't it? Like pictures of uh, DiCaprio with a with a with a with a gut. I felt, I felt like that was um, a thing that was gassed up for a bit. Maybe not as much anymore, but I think that was gassed a little bit. Um, but maybe are they putting that in a catalogue as they do with plus-size women? Probably not. I don't know. I don't look into this shit too deep. I'm not on ASOS constantly, believe it or not. Uh, but there really is an equivalent for men. But say, we need to show men uh, who perhaps don't feel represented that they are equally valid, he says. Some answers are easier than others. Today, we're all bombarded by mental health campaigns that implore us, particularly men, to talk more about our problems. While that's a noble request, perhaps we need to start thinking about more, thinking more about why men feel they can't talk about these issues, to ask why we are failing to build a culture in which people of all gender persuasions, can feel empowered to raise their voice before it's too late. Uh, quote, it sounds really cheesy, but the first relationship we have is with ourselves, Haji Oanu tells me towards the end of our conversation. If that relationship is healthy enough, that's when we can start extending it outwards to relationships with other people. Unquote. That work involves self-analysis, of course, but also requires us to continue unpacking the wider values of a system that rewards our slavish commitment to uniformity while paying performing lip service to individuality. Maybe then we'll start teaching future generations that quote-unquote eye candy should never come at such an eye-watering price. <sighs> I feel bad that all I was thinking of was, because um, when, when he mentioned Botox and lip fillers, I was thinking about recently of just how many um, uh, women uh, that I <coughs> like um i just have just had work done um i was i was just looking at a picture of like scissor recent uh, from like you know one of those comparison photos from like you know before and after kind of thing from you know maybe from like 10 or so years ago and now and it's crazy i just you just don't i just don't think of it that oh that um overtly but like jesus christ you know what i mean just uh like she's put she's clearly had some work done and you know while she looks fucking amazing like it's just i don't know I, I, it's that i've always had that weird feeling about when it comes to uh mentally when it comes to you know the concept of uh people having plastic surgery and all that and just um i just always wonder just why is it literally just so you can conform um or you know is it is it is it honest intentions is there such thing as you know have uh going to get plastic surgery in good faith i mean obviously People have plastic surgery, you know, after like you know, uh, you know, skin grafts, and uh, you know, when when they're severely burnt and or disfigured, and, you know, people have plastic surgery for that those reasons, obviously. And in that case, you answer my I'm answering my own question is that's you know kind of good faith plastic surgery, but I mean you know elective that's what I'm talking about elective plastic surgery shit like that. And is that a is that adding to the body dysmorphia? I mean, it has to right. Um, I mean, we literally had a long read um, a few months ago about um, uh, leg le- uh, about height lengthening surgeries that men have now, uh, where people where dudes are going from like you know five foot five to five foot ten, and 
you know, that's isn't that a isn't that a body dysmorphia in some way? Where you just like and and you know, most people don't care. Obviously some people, you know, like myself, admittedly, um, you know, throw a couple of short jokes here and there to people shorter than me. Uh but, you know, that's just that's not I'm not I don't consider that bullying, quote unquote, right? And uh maybe they are, maybe some people are. Um severely just uh I don't know, just um I don't want to say I don't want to say the word I'm thinking of, but I'm trying to think of a different word. But yeah, damaged. There you go. Damaged by it. You know what I mean? Just going like, uh, I'm, oh, I can't can't stop thinking about my height. You know what I mean? So maybe maybe that's the case. I don't know. Maybe that's that. And um, I don't know. I feel like I'm going around circles. But um, yeah, I guess male body dysmorphia. It's in, it's a it's a weird um, it's a topic that obviously doesn't get brought up much. Um, and you know, obviously the the superhero body, you know, it's just it's just just logically just unattainable for a lot of people. It's just pointless. But um, yeah, man, just to, just to know that half the country basically just you know are constantly thinking about, constantly worrying about their own image. Um, it's just um, I honestly, honestly, I'll be real. I generally thought it was more. I generally think that. Okay, so let's finish uh, with something with, with a topic that um, is unfortunately uh, something that I feel like needs to be talked about because obviously the US midterms have um, come and kind of gone um, as I record on Wednesday, and um, past that you have to. I feel like, especially in the UK, you have to kind of have an eye on it, and the only reason I say that is because of what I'm about to talk about. Um, it was what the what the article was about to talk about, because the U.S. have so much soft power. Let's just say that has so much soft power that um, it re- it genuinely makes a difference. Uh, who is leading in the Senate, or you know, who's the president? It it, it matters because it's not just the U.S. They they're shockwaves throughout. You know, I don't really care that much who the president of Hungary is. I know it's Victor well, Prime Minister of Victor Orban, I know it is, but you know, Hungary being a cesspit of far right, you know, ideals doesn't affect me personally that much or the or the UK that much, I imagine, right? I'm maybe I'm wrong. But for the sake of this, I'm right, right? The US, however, hello different, 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 different. You see what I mean? There's there's just and this is a big reason why. Big reason. So, um, this is by Byline Times. It's uh, exclusively written uh, by Sasha Lavin and Sean Norris. Um, it's called uh, "U.S. Christian Right Spend 75 Million Globally on Anti-Abortion, Anti-LGBTIQ." There's a TIQ. Okay, I've never played like that. Activism since 2015. And this is the thing. Um, when Roe v. Wade hap- uh, got you know killed, basically. Uh, I remember I was watching Channel 4 News about it and they were talking about something along this line where it's just like how powerful the, Christ- the, uh, the Christian right, um, evangelicals and all them are just have so much influence, not just in the US, but literally globally, where, you know, uh, country there there are plenty of countries that saw what happened in the US pertaining to Roe v. Wade and was like, and were gassed about it. They saw, oh, the US is doing this, so it's you know, 
so we can do it, you know what I mean? And and people are gassed up by that. And that happened in the UK as well. Trust me, there's links between this. And hopefully the article helps on that front. So let's jump right in. Uh, leading US Christian nationalist organizations uh, with some with connections to Trump regime are spending millions of dollars to influence abortion and LGBT IQ. I've never heard of that. Um, uh, discourse around the world. Analysis of the financial records of the of ten of the biggest uh, Christian nationalist groups found they have spent seventy four million, nearly I was just saying nearly seventy five, um, outside uh, the US since twenty fifteen. Although the true spend is likely higher. This can this, this includes. Just over 35 uh, million in Europe, Russia, and its neighboring states, where the biggest uh, spenders are Alliance Defending Freedom, 16.1, the American Center for Law and Justice, 8.36, and the Federalist Society, 4.04. In dollars, of course, million. Uh, these three main players engage in legal advocacy to advance the anti abortion, anti BG, agenda outside of the US. The Dutch MEP, Sophie. In Tsveld, okay, I don't know why it's, what, why is there a small T in the middle? I, I, just, I don't know how to read that. Told Byline Times, quote, American organizations are actively shaping national and regional anti-LGBTIQ uh, and anti-abortion uh, discourses around the world. Uh, they have succeeded spectacularly and with devastating effect in a number of countries. Europe is a battlefield in a global struggle. They strive to change European laws and morals, but also to diminish uh, European commitment to a pro-abortion pro-LGBTQ um, uh, and pro-contraception causes. We are seeing an evolution uh, in these organization strategies, says uh, Gillian, or Gillian Kane, uh, from uh, Global Reproductive Rights NGO IPAS. Or IPAS. Uh, increasingly, we are seeing the org- these organizations take a political mandate around sexual and reproductive health issues, which is supported by legal strategies from organizations such as the ACLJ and ADF. Uh, the sole mission of these, uh, another quote, uh, the sole mission of these uh, groups is to strip away rights, explained Ashley Underwood from US-based Equity Forward, and whether that's in the US or in other countries, they're about, they're about controlling people's lives and control decisions and truly pushing their agenda of hate discrimination and manipulation under disguise of religion, unquote. The other organizations analyzed were Human Life International, Heartbeat International, World Youth Alliance, Acton Institute, Fellowship Foundation, Focus on the Family, uh, they were only available 2015, and the Cato Institute. Uh, none of these listed organizations responded to our request for comment. No shit, you don't say. <laughs> I, I love when they put, I love when uh, articles put that. It's just like, really? Oh, God, I couldn't believe it. And then they have to put that, you know, as a kind of like uh, obligatory thing, but it's just funny. Makes me laugh. The biggest spenders in Europe uh, were two legal advocacy organizations, like ADF, uh, which operates uh, in the region as ADF International, and the uh, ACLJ, uh, which funds its regional European Centre for Law and Justice. According to research by Neil Data, uh, with two Ts, um, and the European Parliamentary Forum for Sexual and Reproductive Rights, uh, ADF is in itself funded by the US-based DeVos Foundation, the Donors Trust, and the National Christian Charitable Foundation. I love these names. They're so, they're so bright and you know sparkly, but they're just doing demonic shit. It's like you know, I mean, just save the children. Found like obviously not save children. That's actually a real you know uh, organization. But you know, I mean, just like super happy foundation, and they're just uh, and all they do is just like you know, advocating for killing baby uh, for. <laughs> for uh, for uh, I don't know, name something demonic, right? 
the DeVos family is close to Trump. Bessie DeVos uh, was his education secretary during a period uh, when the administration weakened protections against sexual harassment. Nice. Uh, the Donors Trust has been linked to the Bradley Foundation and the Koch brothers. ADF International UK had an income of £720,704 uh, in the financial year ending June 2021, which includes an unrestricted donation from the US parent charity. In the financial year ending uh, June 2019, the UK branch saw a funding increase of 100 k by ADF, according to documents uh, on Companies House. The organisation has become increasingly visible in the UK, particularly on the issue of buffer zones around abortion clinics. It intervened around the notorious Gay Cake case and uh, has campaigned on campus freedom of speech in defence of anti-abortion students and societies. Despite the US branch being designated as a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Centre, uh, a designation that disputes, ADF International was quoted in a Department for Education white paper on the freedom of expression. Oh, good. Good. Good to know that they're getting heard in white papers, gov- actual government white papers. So happy about that. Quote, uh, the more progress progress we make, uh, the more these groups are getting motivated to push even harder for their agendas and to get even more creative on how they're appealing to different demographics to broaden their base, said Underwood. The American Center for Law and Justice... Can I just stop saying the whole name? Just put ACLJ. Um, ACLJ financial records between 2015 and 2021 indicate yearly grants to its European arm as well as spending $1.4 million in Russia and the newly independent states uh, via grants to the Slavic Center for law and justice. Uh, the center was founded by Pat Robertson, the Republican firebrand, who famously said that feminism encouraged women to, quote, kill their children, practice witchcraft, and become lesbians. I just need to take a breath there just to think, like, it's such a burden, like, having just being logical and just having common sense. It actually is kind of a burden. Like just just seeing that and willingly laugh at it, you know, and just and just, you know, just, you just have to laugh because that's just stupid. That's just the dumbest shit to to read, right? But then you have to you have to realize that people take this shit like just as a fucking. I'm slapping my wrist right now and just 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 inject that shit, you know. Ah, oh, goddamn. All right. His chief counsel is Trump lawyer Jay Sekulow, or Sekulov. Um, the organization organization um, also has East Africa branch. Oh, good, that's great. Widespread, according to writing by Capia John Kauma, uh, it it quote hides an American-based agenda behind African faces, giving the Christian right room to attack gender justice and LGBT rights as a neo-colonial ent- enterprise imposed on Africans and obstructing meaningful critique of the U.S. rights activities. Fuck. Oh, God, this is so demonic. Um, after many years, and, and you wonder why I feel the need to read it. You know what I mean? It's, just not, even, it's not even just the UK. It's, every, it's fucking so widespread. In Africa, it fucks like Putting black faces in front of it. It's just, ah, uh, 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 just uh, makes me feel sick. <sighs> after many years and uh, many millions spent, results are so surely uh, showing, uh, said Intveld. Uh, the EU, EU, for instance, has a special envoy for the promotion of religious freedom of belief or belief. Uh, this post is almost uh, always filled by a hardline Christian conservative 
And is most enthusiastically backed by the most conservative cause of EU politics. My, my fucking wrist hurts because I'm slapping this one. <laughs> Even more important are the underlying conditions for the creation of such a post. An established nationalist pan-European movement has shown itself willing to marry nationalism and the co- to the causes espoused by American anti-abortion and LGBTQ uh, organisations. Uh, neither ADF or LCLJ responded to requests for comment. You don't say. <coughs> Uh, one of the major U.S. anti-abortion organizations with large global spend is Heartbeat International, which has an affiliate network of crisis pregnancy centers accused of using disinformation to persuade women not to access abortion. In the U.K., one of its affiliates is Stanton Healthcare, linked to the anti-abortion uh, 40 Days for Life organization, which the Times revealed is promoting an abortion pill reversal, a key offering of Heartbeat International. I'm sorry. Promoting abortion pill reversal, so the reversal of just okay, right? I I got I I'm I'm, I'm I just went dumb for a second and just thought that there were a pill to stop to like reverse abortion, like you know what I mean. Just don't ask me how, don't ask me to do mental gymnastics on that because yeah, don't know why I thought that. Okay, don't mind me, I'm being dumb. The organization has spent uh nearly 300k in Europe, uh, Russia, and its neighboring states including Ukraine, Spain, Italy, Germany, and Serbia, between the financial years ending 2015-2020. And during the same time period, it spent more than uh, 150k in Sub-Saharan Africa. I'm rounding up, by the way, just just for sake of time. Uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, where it has affiliated crisis pregnancy centers in Tanzania, Uganda, Kenya, and Zambia. Speaking more widely on the subject of crisis pregnancy centers, not those necessarily affiliated to Harvey International, Underwood told by the Times how, quote, they want to control who becomes pregnant, but they don't want to support all the different variations of family or, <laughs> or what a pregnancy may look like. It's interesting, too, as uh, as what they truly value is what they put their money behind. Well, of course, they, they don't want lesbians to have, ba- to have babies. Of course not. No, no, no. You, you, got, you guys got fuck off. No, we just want heterosexual children, please. And uh, no abortions, right? And it's just so constrictive. Fuck. Ah, oh, it's so constrictive. Fucking hell! It's like, it's like, and, and I love how he excludes people as well. Like, just ah, oh, so che- it's so pick and choose. I've, I, it's so fascinating. Um, anyway, uh, uh pregnant person is interested too, as well the true value of money behind. Uh, we see them putting their money behind uh, marketing and SEO professionals and lobbying. Oh, good old SEO. We don't see them putting their money behind providing direct support and the materials. Uh, two people in the communities they're supporting to help. Uh, the World Youth Alliance since uh, Kenya uh, office has been fundraising for a crisis pregnancy center in the country. Excuse me. The U.S. branch of YWA uh, spent more than 300k in sub-Saharan Africa since 2015, although it raises money through its Belgium office. Uh, excuse me. Uh, YW. WYA, I said YWA before, didn't I? Uh, Oppose uh, Kenya's failed 2020 reproductive health care bill. Great. Glorious. Harvey International is one example where US anti-abortion organizations are exporting money and tactics, in this case a crisis pregnancy center model around the world. Great. Another example relates to legal advocacy, as identified by Kane Ipas. She told uh, Byland Times that since the Dobbs decision in the US in June, which ended the nationwide right to safe and legal abortion, anti-abortion movies in other countries are testing the same legal arguments to frustrate progress on reproductive rights, exactly what I was talking about before. 
Quote, in both Kenya and Lagos State in, in Nigeria, we have solid examples where the Dobbs decision is being used to attack abortion rights, Kane explained. The first is to challenge a legal case in Kenya that in March affirmed uh, the constitutional right to abortion when the pregnancy threatens the mother's health. The judge uh, used arguments linked to Roe v. Wade, but with the Ro- with Roe gone, that is being challenged by opposition groups. In Nigeria, groups are using Dobbs' decision uh, to argue against disseminating guidelines about when abortion is permissible in the state, unquote. Uh, Judy Tang, excuse me, I don't know, my nose just decided to be, come in the mix. Uh, Judy Tang, T-A-I-N-G, Tang, uh, the head of Gender and Sexuality at Article 19, said, quote, the traditional values rhetoric is a well-spun tactic of using so-called morals and ethics to consolidate power and justify oppression by right-wing conservative groups uh, domestically and globally. Within this, we need to clear- see clearly that the pro- prohibition of abortion is not an end goal, but rather a vehicle within a larger campaign to silence any form of opposition to trap people into cycles of poverty and oppressive gender roles, and to isolate and disempower activists, human rights defenders, and journalists. <laughs> and lastly... Of course, neither Harvey International or WYA responded to requests uh, for comment. It is spelt fro. Um, if anyone's reading, if anyone's listening from Bardo Times, uh, get an editor on that, please. Um, so, yeah. Nice fun end to the episode, um, as I always like to do. Um, but, yeah, I, that's kind of... I just wanted to prove a point um, in some ways that, um, you know, whatever whatever happens in America really has shockwaves everywhere else because they just have them especially the christian right they just have absurd amount of money to just throw around um and it and what they like to throw their money around is uh just batshit batshit crazy right wing uh, uh uh fucking shit like this um and um yeah yeah that's that's where we're at um so yeah i don't know <laughs> I'm not religious, but God help us all. Uh, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, find the fifth end podcast at work. I'm excited to say this has been most good. It's your music has been too much by Vanilla. Thanks to your music for the BTS track. Five by the links in the full show notes. And thanks for inviting me Nappy High for the BTS charismatic for the interlude. You can also find his link in the full show notes. Interview dropping in 24 hours after the release of this episode. Please go spin. It is a definite, it's a long one, but it's a worthy listen. And uh, I will have some photography that will drop at the same time. Those will all, all of that shit will be in the full show notes of the interview. Um, but yeah, please go spin that. And thank you for listening. Um, of course, as always. Um, but until the next time, hope you all have a good week. Uh, I should always try and do the same. But until the next time, there we go. Uh, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.